Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the topics you're talking about in football. I mean, McGarry with me, of course, as always, is pundit extraordinaire Duncan Castles. And we're delighted to welcome back the maestro of calcio, Aurelio Capaldi. Aurelio, ciao fratello. Come stai? Ciao. Ciao. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Great to have you, Aurelio. Thank you for joining us. And of course, with the maestro of calcio in uh, the house, we will be talking all things Italian football, but specifically the uh, movements of the great Carlo Ancelotti and Max Allegri. First of all, though, we're going to start with a bit of news on Erling Haaland, the RB Salzburg striker who is tearing it up in the Champions League as well as at the Austrian League. We know that Marcel Butt, who is Manchester United's chief scout, or we think he is, Duncan, because obviously that seems to change from day to day. I watched him uh, this uh, last week against Liverpool, um, we can tell you that he then met um, Erling's father, of course, the former Leeds United and Manchester City uh, player, Alf Inga Haaland, uh, to talk about the possibility of a transfer to Old Trafford. Things went well, um, as uh, much as we have been told, except for one little thing, which is a major thing, and that is his game time, because Erling has grown accustomed at just the tens range of 19, to playing every game, playing almost every 90 minutes as well, and obviously scoring prolifically in every time he takes the field, it seems. Now, Alf, his father, um, specifically asked Marcel Butt for assurances with regards to what Erling, his son, could expect if he joins Manchester United uh, in terms of game time, in terms of his the pecking order. Uh, Anthony Martial obviously plays as the point striker at this moment in time with Marcus Rashford playing off the left. Erling Haaland is very much a number nine, very much a point striker. Um, and he wanted assurances with regards to you know, what would happen. Now, obviously, Marcel Butt as chief scout is not the person to give those assurances. However, Haaland has uh, played under um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Molde as a youth player. Um, and we expect there will be a meeting between those two in the next two weeks. However, Duncan, if you are Erling Haaland and you are you've got that you know verve of youth and also uh, the desire to play every ninety minutes and the fact that he's been used to doing that um, both in his domestic league and in the Champions League, how would Solskjaer convince uh, that player? That he will be the starting number nine at United. I think I think that's a difficult thing for Solskjaer to convince because he, he clearly has a lot invested in uh, Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial um, and the way they're playing at present. So um, 
I think any Haaland having that discussion and Haaland's father having that discussion with Manchester United is, is going to rightfully say, well, are, are you prepared to relegate uh, Martial to um, second choice striker or are you thinking of, of using uh, me off the wing next season instead of Daniel James? And I think Solskjaer's job there will be to persuade Haaland that it, it's better to move to Manchester United now um, with a certain amount of game time um, guaranteed but not a promise of being the starting forward than it is to take an intermediate step um, and look it's not just the father and the player that are involved here as we told you in the podcast um, several weeks ago Mino Raiola is the agent involved looking for a large commission on the deal has been pitching the idea that he can raise as much as 100 million euros for um, the transfer fee. Um, He's not going to get that from the intermediate steps. And um, Haaland has, and his representative had conversations with Borussia Dortmund and Red Bull Leipzig in, um, I think, the past week, certainly this month. Um, And those are the kind of clubs where he could expect to move to and play straight off and play more game time. And from a career development perspective, you'd think that would be the more sensible move and that you stay um, in a a German-speaking country in a a league that doesn't have quite the step up that um, he will experience from Austria to the Premier League. Um, Although it will be a step up for him. Um, and 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 spend a year, a couple of years in Germany with an agreement in place that you will be sold uh, for a certain transfer fee, put a clause in the contract, you'll be sold for a certain transfer fee, uh, assuming you've achieved certain targets and retained the interest of the bigger clubs in Europe. Um, and uh, and the club are ready to sell at that point. That's very much the model that Dortmund, Red Bull, Leipzig follow um, so it would be the the sensible path if you think you're going to develop in that fashion. Some people are I, I've talked to about Haaland. They question whether his valuation is is really a hundred million. I've talked to a couple of people whose whose opinion on on quality of players I trust a lot, and and said to them that's what Raul is trying to get, and they both come back and said no, he's not worth that price, maybe fifty, maybe sixty million euros, and uh, I mean one of them in particular thinks that he might turn out to be something of a flat track bully, um, a, a player who looks very good in the Austrian league and looks very good in the Norwegian league because of his physical prowess, but not quite technically good enough to translate that physical prowess into being a top player in the knockout round stages of the Champions League and in a, in a harder division. And, and it, there are probably a few signs of that in the match against Liverpool this week. Um, he had opportunities to to score in that game and um, I saw a couple of heavy touches and um, kind of panic over shooting that you don't want to see in a player who you are setting up as being your number nine and and you know if you're going to spend 100 million euros on a player you want a guy who can make get those decisions right at the right moment when those opportunities present themselves in the very important games he's still young He's still just 19, but um, 
Look, I think Manchester United have an interesting choice to make on this player. Um, how far they're prepared to spend in terms of salary, transfer fee, and whether they really want to to go down the line and convince him um, that Manchester United are the right club to come to and whether they want to invest that kind of money in ensuring that he comes to Manchester United and, and paying Mino Raiola what he expects uh, to get from that deal as well. Well, given they're trying to get out of bed with Mino Raiola right now, Duncan, I would think that uh, getting back into that situation might not be high on the list of priorities for Manchester United. Aurelio, you're very familiar with Raiola and his workings in Serie A. Has there been any interest in Haaland from major clubs in Italy or has just seemed to pass them by? Um, clubs, Italian clubs are, of course, very impressed. And um, there were whispers uh, from uh, Juventus and Inter, but uh, now it looks like um, the player is already very expensive as everybody is chasing him. So uh, the debate here is to, to find another one, but younger <laughs> and uh, cheaper and cheaper. Uh, because it's not uh, a great time to to join this kind of business for uh, many Italian clubs. But of course, uh, Juventus and Inter Milan uh, are, are very uh, careful about this. Unsurprising, I think, um, with regard to the fee that's being requested uh, and certainly punted by Raiola um, for Haaland, that clubs would be put off, obviously, by the um, expectation that they should fork out 100 million euros for a 19-year-old who's played uh, his football in the Austrian top division. From that transfer potentially happening in January to what's going on right now in England, and of course, uh, Carlo Ancelotti's availability, having been sacked midweek by Napoli, has um, uh, brought around interest from both Arsenal and Everton. We reported on this uh, on the podcasts on Tuesday and Wednesday this week. Um, we absolutely need to get the inside view, which will come from Aurelio, because he knows both uh, Carlo Ancelotti and Max Allegri. We'll bring, come to him in a second. But um, in your opinion, Aurelio, um, where does Carlo Ancelotti sit now with regards to the interest in him? from both those Premier League clubs, are, are, are they both still an option or is one more of an option than the other, do you think? Carlo Ancelotti's next destination is Vancouver now. <laughs> because... <laughs> <laughs> what, Vancouver Whitecaps? <laughs> <laughs> because he has already planned to spend Christmas and New Year's Eve in Vancouver, where uh, his wife um, is from. And uh, so we spent some time in Canada. But of course, he's very keen to be back in the business uh, because he was very disappointed the way Napoli treated him, in particularly um, the, the way Napoli chairman Aurelio De Laurentiis treated him and his staff. So um, he's keen to be back and uh, Premier League is his favorite option. Uh, I think both Arsenal and Everton uh, might be interesting for him. And uh, so he's very open to listening uh, potential offers. And um, this is not the case where he wants to be without working for a couple of months, uh, like it happened in the past. 
now he's uh, ready uh, to be back soon and uh, uh, as soon as he gets uh, an offer that uh, he considers good uh, he will um, will find an agreement with Napoli uh, and so um, they will definitely part ways because at the moment uh, he's under contract and uh, um, he's been fired. What are Ancelotti's other options? Aurelio, is it, is it the case that he wants the Premier League above all else and he's prepared to step down the ladder to the extent that he would take a club like Everton, which is, let's face it, that's a big drop-off of the, the kind of elite clubs that he has been used to coaching. And even, even if Napoli was a step down, I believe that was done for specific reasons in terms of um, family uh, thoughts that he had and enabled him to spend some time in Italy and also he was inheriting a, a squad with a lot of potential there who could have a realistic chance of competing for the Italian title and for the Champions League um, He wants to to go back and live in London so uh, the priority is to be back in England and uh, Premier League uh, is his favourite option so I think uh, Everton is a real option for him too. Um, but of course, uh, he must be open to, to offers from um, somewhere else too. Um, not Serie A. Uh, this was totally unexpected for, from him because um, he was thinking of a first, first season of transition with Napoli last year. And this time he was ready uh, to win something with Napoli. But things went from bad to worse and uh, in Champions League things were going well but in Serie A uh, the gap was too big and also there were problems uh, between the club and the players and uh, he couldn't handle the situation because uh, it's very difficult um, to, to handle um, the moody uh, chairman uh, of Napoli so it was difficult for him to cope with this situation and in the end there was a lot of confusion and uh, it ended in a bad way for him but as I said before he's really keen to be back soon and uh, Premier League is his favourite option Aurelio you know Ancelotti very well you've worked with him for a long time there, there's a degree of scepticism from some Arsenal supporters about Ancelotti that he's not the same level of coach as he once was after his time at Bayern Munich and, and Napoli. What's your view on, on, his, um, on his motivation and his, uh, his degree of skill as a, as a manager in the current game? I think that um, there were also some um, uh, particular views about him even when he took over at Real Madrid, I remember that uh, people were saying that uh, uh, he was not uh, making the most of his players, that uh, uh, the training sessions were soft and this kind of stuff. But in the end, he was capable of winning important things in Madrid. Um, in Germany, the situation was different. Uh, and at Napoli, things uh, went in a way that uh, he couldn't imagine. I think that um, his, his level of motivation is very high. Uh, of course, even for a manager, there are 
brilliant times and uh, also bad times. But I don't think that suddenly Carlo Ancelotti is not capable of um, coaching a, a top uh, team uh, just because uh, things didn't go well at Napoli or at Bayern. So um, uh, I think that uh, he's really ready to be back and is uh, not that old. And uh, I think he can still do very well. Earlier, Carlo's at, at his reputation. You know, I've uh, worked with Carlo. I've kept in touch with him over the years since he left Chelsea. Players love him. Uh, he's a very uh, easy guy to go on with. He's a very good man manager. He's not so noted for possibly his coaching on the practice pitch. Um, nor for being very disciplined or disciplinarian, I should say, in terms of you know uh, taking a squad and and you know being hard on them and making them uh, into some kind of unit that you know he, he can mould in his shape. Everton at the moment seem to be the favourites to sign Ancelotti. From the outside, it looks like that group of players needs more of a disciplined approach because they've got a lot of talent. They've spent a lot of money on players who have underperformed. Um, I'm just wondering, do you think that Carlo's approach can succeed at Everton and get results from what is a very underperforming group of players? I think that uh, he could do well there uh, because um, he's a guy that um, is able uh, to give confidence uh, to players and uh, he, can, uh, he, he can take the best from them when uh, they lack motivation. The problem at Napoli was the, the confusion uh, between the chairman and the team. Because uh, when the chairman says, uh, without, without talking to the manager, uh, that the players must go... Uh, to the hotel for uh, before the game for two or three days, and um, this has not been agreed. Uh, then there is confusion, and then it's difficult also for Carlo. But if the relationship with the with the club is good, uh, and it's also a matter between the players and the manager, then that then that's the situation when Carlo is good at. Carlo's exit from Napoli, does that change the circumstances for Kalidou Koulibaly at all? The player that um, a lot of Premier League clubs have, have shown a lot of interest in and uh, there's been significant attempts to try and bring him to the Premier League before. Do you think this opens the door for a sale or not? Or no difference to their stance on, on, on retaining the player? I think that also... Uh, Koulibaly's relationship with Napoli is changing. I mean, uh, till last year, he was uh, 100% uh, convinced to stay at Napoli, even if bigger clubs were chasing him. Now I think he's uh, ready to leave because this has been a really difficult season and um, it's only December, so still a couple of months to go. But uh, I think he's considering to go. And also, Napoli chairman uh, is probably more keen to sell him because he had promised Ancelotti to keep him. 
uh, when they decided that they would go for the title, they would try to win the Italian title. Now, the project in Napoli seems to be different. And so I think uh, sale uh, is an option for Colibali, but also uh, facts uh, have confirmed that Colibali is a fantastic player, is a great central defender, but uh, you must be careful uh, who is playing alongside him. Because I'll give you an example. When he was playing with uh, Albiol, uh, things were brilliant because uh, Albiol uh, uh, has the kind of technical characteristics uh, and skills to play alongside him. Things were not so good when he played alongside Manolas because Manolas is more similar to him. From uh, Gulabali to uh, the Enigma, I think we can call him uh, at the moment, Aurelio, Max Allegri, who left Juventus, as we know, uh, and was replaced by Maurizio Sarri uh, last summer. Um, we have um, reported on the transfer window uh, previously that uh, Allegri has spent time in London. Uh, he's accelerated his lessons in English. Um, he, we understand also, has turned down an approach from Arsenal to interview for the job there. Uh, we also know that um, his representatives were contacted by Everton in advance of uh, their managerial uh, position becoming vacant after Marco Silva's sacking. He seems to be a man who's He's got a plan in his mind, um, Aurelio, with regards to where his next job is. Uh, can you shed any light on, on it for us where you think uh, Allegri believes or indeed knows where he's going to end up? His plan from the start was to, to spend a year off when he parted ways with Juventus. Um, he decided that uh, he would take a sabbatical and uh, so I was not surprised when, uh, when I heard that uh, he had turned down some offers and uh, also Arsenal. Um, but he studied English, as you said, and uh, he wanted to go to London quite often. And uh, he wanted to try to learn a specific football language because Premier League is his favorite option. And uh, he wants to go to England in Italy. At the moment, there are no jobs for uh, Max Allegri because uh, he has just left Juventus. Uh, Conte took over at Inter and um, the other clubs uh, cannot, cannot afford uh, to hire him. Uh, so uh, England is, is the um, biggest opportunity for him or Spain if something extraordinary happens at Real Madrid because do not forget that uh, Florentino Perez already tried um, to, um, to hire him once and uh, it was not the right moment for Allegri, so he turned it down. Um, at the moment, in England, I think that uh, Max Allegri is interested in the possibility of uh, taking over at Manchester United. But Allegri is not interested to go to England just... Uh, to be in the Premier League, uh, he wants to join a winning project. He's an ambitious guy and uh, he wants to compete for the title and also for important things. So I think uh, he wants to have the situation clear in the next 
two, three months. He doesn't want to um, arrive in June without knowing his destiny. So I think that uh, the next weeks will be very important for him. And I believe that uh, Manchester United is an option. Has he received uh, encouragement or at least uh, communication from, from Manchester United regarding the possibility? Because when Solskjaer faced those two crucial games in the last uh, week or so, Aurelio uh, beating Tottenham Hotspur and then Manchester City in succession, uh, it looked like if it had gone the other way, then Solskjaer's job would certainly have been on the line. It seems now things have calmed, although Duncan and I are, are in agreement that two wins over even those big clubs doesn't make him safe. Do you do you believe that Allegri is still anticipating Solskjaer will leave in a, and therefore his opportunity to become manager at Old Trafford is a realistic one? I think that uh, we all know in football things change weeks, week after week. So... Football is a moody world, but um, Allegri got some uh, encouragement, as you said, and uh, so he's um, he's very curious to know uh, if Manchester United can become uh, something concrete. What? Why is Manchester United attractive to him? Aurelio, because we're looking at a club that if you look at their performances in the league since um, Sir Alex Ferguson and David Gill left, they're, they've only finished second once in those seasons and uh, are only making the Champions League on average um, one season out of two during that period. Um, yet, we're talking about Allegri who wants to win the Champions League and wants to win titles. It doesn't seem like that an obvious fit in many ways. Uh, you're right, but I think that um, he's trying to understand if Manchester United uh, are ready uh, to open a new cycle, a new uh, winning period, uh, if they can become more ambitious and um, try to win more things uh, because um, I think that uh, he's also trying to be realistic and he knows that uh, at the moment uh, uh, Liverpool uh, have just renewed with Klopp, uh, Manchester, Manchester City uh, have Guardiola and uh, the big jobs, uh, which big jobs are available? Not so many. So Manchester United uh, is interesting to him because um, he, he knows that potentially uh, they can uh, they can try to be uh, winners again. And Bayern Munich, I believe there's been some discussion that he could be a, a potential coach next season. Uh, yes, you're right. Um, Max Allegri is very close to uh, FIFA agents. Branchini, and uh, Branchini is very close to Rummenigge, uh, and uh, they talked about the possibility. Uh, of course, uh, as you know, uh, coaching Bayern means also that uh, you have to be uh, fluent with German, and uh, that is not the case <laughs> with Allegri, and uh, so he should, he should uh, start to study it and uh, try to be very quick. Uh, I'm not saying it's impossible, 
but uh, at the moment, I don't see it um, as the first option. I'm intrigued really when you said at the beginning of um, this conversation that Allegri wanted to learn specifically English football language. Now, is that the case then that he has been learning like phrases like man on and can we not knock it and hoof? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what the Italian uh, is for those phrases, in all honesty. They don't exist in, cal- in calcio. <laughs> uh, he's trying to explore uh, more vocabulary, more specific vocabulary, uh, trying to read newspapers and uh, sports pages, and uh, he, wants to be, he wants to be fluent if the big chance uh, comes up. So I think it's uh, more than understandable that he wants to be ready if he's got the opportunity. Wednesday's podcast, Aurelio, I mischievously suggested that perhaps Allegri would be a candidate for Manchester City the, uh, next summer because uh, Guardiola, as Duncan and I have discussed many times in the last few weeks, appears to be entering into the end uh, game scenario of his time uh, in his uh, at, at the Etihad Stadium. Um, now, this brings us on to another interesting aspect, which, of course, you uh, can uh, enlighten us on, and that is Maurizio Sarri's situation at Juventus, because, as we also know, Guardiola has an open invitation from the Agnelli family to become head coach at Juve. Um, let's just say, you know, the hypothetical would be Guardiola does leave uh, City and would that mean bad news for Sarri? Well, I think that uh, if Guardiola actually leaves Manchester City, Juventus want to be the first club to talk to him because they already made him know that uh, when he leaves Manchester, uh, they want to be their next employer. So Guardiola knows perfectly that uh, Juventus um, are top um, of the um, potential um, buyers and uh, they always liked him. Uh, they were really interested uh, in uh, understanding if he was going to leave Manchester City Last season, there was a lot of fuss, but um, then they went for Sarri because they knew Guardiola decided to stay uh, at the Etihad Stadium. But um, I think also that uh, if Guardiola becomes available, they would have no doubts. Of course, results matter. Of course, it depends what happens with Sarri. But... Um, if they understand, if they realize that Guardiola is available, Juventus would go straight for him because they absolutely like him. And I think that uh, uh, Guardiola never denied that uh, uh, when he is uh, experienced in Premier League ends, he wants to try also an Italian experience. And if he comes to Italy, Juventus are the number one destination for him. I think. Maurizio Sarri, Aurelio, you were quite sceptical about whether he would be a good fit for Juventus when we, we spoke to you in the summer. 
Um, what is your feeling now he's had several months in the job and uh, and uh, a mixed, I think, a mixed set of results in, in those initial months in the job? Um, till now, um, I mean, um, things uh, didn't go badly for him, but um, nobody saw... Uh, the the amazing game that uh, some people would expect to see, probably in its time, yes, but uh, at the moment uh, nobody really saw an amazing Juventus side. Um, when Juventus decided to part ways with Allegri, they said they were looking for uh, someone who could offer um, a charming game. Uh, someone who could be very entertaining. And Maurizio Sarri was hired uh, because it was impossible at the time to sign Guardiola. Uh, so Guardiola, again, was uh, number one option for Juventus. Then they, they went for Sarri. They were hoping that Sarri could offer um, a fantastic uh, play, a fantastic game. But um, till now, only... Uh, if you, only in a, on a very few occasions Juventus could offer an amazing style of play. So it remains to be seen if Sarri uh, can express uh, his ideas uh, fully with Juventus. Uh, at the moment, uh, Inter are top of the league, only two points, but... Uh, Let's face facts, uh, it's still early to say if it was a good appointment or a bad one. It's still early. Is he playing Sari ball? As we, as, as, well, Duncan actually called it something different, didn't you, Duncan? <sighs> I've forgotten what I called it. Misery ball, I think it was. No, a lot Sari, Sari bollocks. <laughs> Sari bollocks, yes, Sari bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> is that the case at Juventus, uh, Aurelio? Is he playing Sari bollocks? Um, at the moment, uh, uh, Sarri is um, is winning most of of the games thanks to the individual players. For example, Paulo Dybala is playing very well. Paulo Dybala is making a difference uh, in most of the games. Uh, in Moscow, he, he won thanks to Douglas Costa um, against Atletico or against AC Milan. It was Dybala again. Uh, against uh, Lokomotiv, uh, <laughs> he was losing and uh, Dybala scored twice. So, um, individual players and Juventus uh, have lots of quality uh, in the team. Uh, individual players are helping him. And uh, at the moment, uh, things uh, still have to prove uh, brilliant for him. Uh, so, um, as I said, uh, the style of play is not something uh, which was expected uh, at this level. Now, think people uh, were expecting more from him, but maybe in the next months he will be able to, to express a better style of play. Aurelio, a more, a more general question about Italian coaches, because you've told us that Ancelotti wants to come back and Allegri's preference is to go to the Premier League. In total... Only nine men have won a Premier League title as coaches. Um, no Englishman yet, um, but four separate Italians. 
have won the Premier League title and four in the last inside the last uh, ten years. Why do you think it is that Italian coaches have had such success in English football? I think because they are um, very curious and uh, very well prepared, and uh, they are very attracted by by the Premier League, uh, and uh, so they the, the motivation and uh, their ideas, uh, all these ingredients uh, helped helped them uh, to get good results. And technical quality or handling of players? Um, are, you, you think they're better coaches in general than most other nationalities because of their upbringing in Serie A? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, um, they are not better just because they are Italian or because they come from Serie A. No, I don't think so. I think that, um, of course, players matter a lot. Technical quality uh, matter a lot. For example, if you talk to Allegri, he's the kind of guy uh, who always points out that uh, technical quality and uh, uh, good players are very, very important to succeed and to have success. Uh, of course, I think that uh, su- success is a combination of uh, many ingredients. And uh, one factor is that um, the Italian coaches that you mentioned are very well prepared and uh, very well motivated. But of course, without, um, without a big club and without high quality players, you don't win. Well, this week has seen the conclusion of uh, UEFA's two competitions, uh, the Champions League and Europa League, in terms of the group stages, gentlemen. And for the first time in Champions League history, all 16 of the teams in the knockout stage come from the five top leagues. Um, This has led to, or certainly not led to, but it's obviously intensified the debate about the future of the Champions League with the European Club Association calling for a uh, revamped version uh, driven by um, the president of Juventus, Signor Agnelli, as well as FIFA putting out to tender the possibility of a, an annual co- uh, competition for the World Club Championship to private equity firms. Duncan, we've spoken about this uh, quite a lot on the pod. Um, where uh, is there going to be a compromise in your opinion or indeed is this going to become a conflict? I think it already is a conflict and, and it, it's a multi-dimensional conflict that we haven't seen before in football because we've had this constant pressure from the top end of the European game from the richest clubs to have uh, closer to guaranteed access to the Champions League and that's one of the reasons why we've ended up with a situation where all 16 teams that we're going to watch in the, 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 the knockout stages of the Champions League, which is the best club football, it's the highest quality football, it's the, the, um, the knockout element of it, uh, produces amazing drama and it sells very well because of it. For the first time, they're all coming from those top five leagues and that's partly because the, the slots in the group stages are um, 
predominantly given to those top five leagues now. It's actually very difficult to get into even the group stages if you come from a minor league. You look at Ajax, who were seconds away from reaching the final of the Champions League last season, and I think would have been more interesting opponents to Liverpool than uh, Tottenham proved to be. And they had to go through multiple rounds of um, of pre-qualification just to get back into the competition this year. Uh, and then uh, their argument will be that they should have got through to the group stages if, um, if a VAR uh, and refereeing decisions hadn't gone spectacularly against them. Um, uh, against Chelsea in uh, in a match that they looked to have won and uh, eventually seemed to be the difference between them making the knockout stages or not. But instead of just having the the top clubs like Juventus, which is Agnelli's club, saying we want more of the money and we want more secure places in the Champions League competition, uh, and now you have this push um, for guaranteed places uh, and more games, more guaranteed games. And they, they've, they've had a couple of goes at proposing differences that, uh, that have so far been rejected. You also have FIFA coming into the equation and saying, we want a piece of top level club football. They've already expanded the Club World Cup. Um, so in 2021, we're going to get a Club World Cup, which in China with 24 competing teams, Eight of those will be from Europe, six from South America. But as you say, FIFA have put this um, tender process document out to uh, various groups who um, could provide funding for that uh, club competition and, and said, we, we're not just looking for funding for a, uh, a quadrennial um, 24 team Club World Cup. We're open to a change in the number of teams participating in it. We're open to um, the the scheduling of it, so it could potentially be an annual event. Um, we're open to changes of format, uh, and uh, and it's this coming very soon after the president of FIFA, Gianni Infantino, has met with the president of Real Madrid, Florentino Perez, who um, has. Uh, pushed in the past for uh, some alternative to the Club World Cup, which would uh, guarantee Real Madrid access and, and much greater revenue. So you you have UEFA trying to fight their own clubs to hold on to that tournament, and then FIFA in the background saying, "Well, here's an, we are prepared to set up something completely new, which will put more money in your hands." And and obviously FIFA are targeting. The, the very top clubs with this. So it's, um, we haven't seen this in football and I think it's a very dangerous um, situation and, and it's hard to see any outcome in which more of the, the game's revenue ends up going to the top clubs, the, the richest clubs at present and their, um, their dominance of the game is, is cemented. Aurelio, why has Agnelli been particularly belligerent about this? Because He's been leading the charge, if you like, with regards to change. Is there a vest, there are, well, there's a vested interest for him, obviously, and Juventus have um, failed to win the Champions League now for many years, having dominated in the 1990s and indeed some of the 2000s as well. Um, is that a personal thing for him or is it something which is supported by the rest of Italian football? No, it's not supported by the rest of Italian football, but uh, Agnelli uh, is doing this because he believes that uh, uh, Juventus uh, deserve that kind of treatment. And uh, also, he's a man uh, 
who doesn't like to be just an observer. He wants to make decisions and uh, he wants uh, Juventus to have uh, a central role. Juventus and uh, the big clubs like Juventus in Europe uh, to have a, a central role like Duncan explained. Um, he's very convinced that um, they can get uh, a better result and that they will uh, progress. But um, the debate is there and I think that uh, it's really unpredictable uh, the future right now. How does the rest of Serie A feel about the idea that Juventus might break away and join a, a European Super League, which is one of the, the proposals that has been discussed by these top clubs that they just they leave um, domestic and UEFA competition altogether and set up a new league with, with a um, new governing body, potentially FIFA, and different investors paying for the uh, broadcasting rights? Most of clubs, most of Italian clubs are not talking about this, but off the record, they're, they're not very happy with the idea uh, because, of course, that mm, the advantage uh, would be uh, for Juventus, but uh, many of them uh, don't see it as a good thing for Italian football and for uh, the other clubs too. And Agnelli himself... Um... You know him better, obviously, than either either of us do. You you you've seen how he's shaped Juventus into a club that are now dominant in Italian football and and have got quite close to winning the Champions League. Um, do you trust someone like Agnelli to put um, the best interests of football ahead of the best interests of Juventus? Because his argument is that creating a different structure to the, the, the European Champions League will be for the benefit of everyone down the line because it will allow football to become more popular and, uh, and generate more revenue? Well, uh, he's a very ambitious guy. Uh, he likes to bring uh, young ideas and fresh ideas uh, in football. Um, at the start, he trusted a man like uh, Marotta who helped the who helped him and the club win a lot. Then there was a time last season when he decided that uh, he would get rid of Marotta and Marotta went to Inter. And uh, he was not expecting this. So um, he's a man who is ready uh, to make difficult decisions. Also, sadly. Um, of course, um, fears are that... Uh, is so brilliant to do Juventus interests that uh, other clubs' interests uh, might be uh, damaged or uh, not so well treated. It's, is it not the case that he's also made big um, decisions in his personal life um, in the past, which which tells us a little bit about his character? Yes, he's a. Uh... He's a young man uh, who's got a lot of power and um, uh, he's a man who, who likes to be uh, very close to his club. Uh, for example, it is uh, normal to see him attending a press conference, or not, on, not only games, but also uh, press conferences before the day before the games. Uh, he's very present with, um, with Nedved. Uh, Nedved and um, also the sporting director Paratici. 
So he knows that uh, there are occasions when you have to be quick and uh, you have to make big decisions in, uh, in a short time. I'm going to have to ask both of you now to give me your call on what some people have called a conspiracy theory. Um, I'm not sure why it's called a conspiracy theory because it is a fact that today at 10.30 a.m. this morning, Rangers Football Club in Glasgow announced that Stephen Gerrard had extended his contract until 2024. One hour later, Jurgen Klopp confirmed he'd extended his contract at Anfield until 2024. Is this just a coincidence, Duncan, or are we seeing the uh, succession, in fact, not just the succession, but the coronation of King Stephen Gerrard back to Liverpool in four and a half years' time? Well, we told you before Stephen Gerrard ever took the Rangers job that um, he saw it as a training ground, as a, as a way to make it easier for him and prepare himself to become Liverpool manager. And he took that high-risk decision to go to Rangers because he felt he could learn far more in terms of managing under pressure, under the spotlight, um, having the pressure to try and, and, and beat um, better resourced rivals at Rangers than he could by going to a championship club or going to a Premier League club. Um, and it does seem to be working for him. Um, his status has increased. He's still perceived as being um, a strong contender to be the, the next Liverpool manager. In terms of coordinating them so a handover can take place in 2024, I think that's something of a stretch given that it does seem from what Jurgen Klopp has said in his press conference today about why he uh, agreed this new contract, that one of the reasons he agreed it and it's been announced now was they were get, having conversations with players that they wanted to sign and wanted to bring to the club to further improve what the, the squad um, Fenway Sports Group and Klopp have built there and have turned into Premier League champions elect. Um, and those people in those conversations were asking, but what about the manager? How long does he stay for? Um, if I move here, um, how long will I be playing for Jurgen Klopp? And they feel that they've taken that out of the equation by giving him that long-term contract. Um, it is easy in football to give people long-term contracts that particularly managers that are never, ever seen out. So if you want to be cynical about it, um, you could say that there is absolutely no guarantee that Klopp will last to 2024. Um, he has talked in the past about his time at Liverpool having a shelf life. He has talked today about um, if he stays until 2024, that'll be nine years, the longest he's ever stayed at one club. He is a man who's been very loyal to his previous clubs, so I'm not saying that um, he is preparing to walk away and he doesn't have any intention of staying to 2024, but I would say there's absolutely no guarantee that he'll last that long. Um, and there is an intensity to managing at the top level of the Premier League, which is... It, it makes it very difficult now that Arsene Wenger and Sir Alex Ferguson have gone 
to to last that distance. And obviously, Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp are on the crest of a wave uh, and, and a well-deserved wave at present. And I think Family Sports Group have been clever here in, in getting their man to sign a new contract when the feel-good factor for him personally will be huge. And that also is a tactic that clubs often um, use with valuable managers. And we've, we've seen it very recently with Brendan Rodgers at Leicester City. Um, and that they, Rodgers, I think, uh, was happy to allow Arsenal's interest in him um, to be the cause of a contract extension inside the year of joining the club. But also Leicester made him an offer which will in, in, increase his financial value to them if he leaves the club. Um, at a time when he would be very prone to sign it because everything is going so well for him. So um, I, I, I think I'd, uh, I'd set the conspiracy theory on Liverpool setting up the coronation for Steven Gerrard in 2024 20, aside at this point. And I, I would question whether he would survive at Rangers until 2024 as well, regardless of how well he's done so far. So conspiracy theory or not, it would be a very easy uh, transition I think, from Liverpool Football Club uh, when uh, the already legend that is Jurgen Klopp leaves to replace him with the living legend that is Steven Gerrard. One player who has came to uh, light with regards to joining the Anfield Club is the Japanese international at, of course, um, uh, Haaland's club as well, the uh, Minamino. And uh, he seems to have gone under the radar, Duncan, with regards to um, attracting interest, especially as he uh, has a release clause of 8.5 million euros, as well as um, a very small salary as well. Uh, looked very, very good against Liverpool this week, but has been very impressive from people um, I've spoken to, and I'm sure you have too, uh, for at least 18 months now with RB Salzburg. Yeah, this is Takumi Minamino. Um, he'll be 25 um, in January, so they're they're picking him up at, at uh, a very good point in his career. Um, he's already done six, or he's, this is his sixth season in European football, so he's experienced um, and and gone through the ad- adaptation process, which is often pretty difficult for Japanese players. Um, you know, I, I started my journalist career in Japan and um, watched a lot of the top internationals from Japan moved to Europe and really struggle with their initial moves and, and not many of them succeeding. Probably the the, the most notable was um, success was Hiritoshi Nakata, who of course um, was a, a, a great player in Serie A for a number of years. But um, Minamino's um, numbers are, are really good, 63 goals in 192 games in Europe. Um, his output numbers on the pitch are exceptionally good as well. We know that Liverpool use that kind of statistical analysis to filter um, down to the kind of players they want to focus on. And, and they seem to have been very clever here. Um, Salzburg have, 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 have gone on record as saying that they expect the player to leave in January. Um, Liverpool briefing that they've, they've got the deal in place. And it's in many ways, he's exactly the kind of player that, that Liverpool have been looking for to give themselves a bit of um, insurance policy around their attackers and that he can play 
um, anywhere in the second line of attack. So you could see him working as right winger or left winger um, when Salah or Mane have to, are either injured or have to be shifted elsewhere, which doesn't happen very often. You could see him playing behind the forwards. I wonder if they're even thinking of him as a alternative to Roberto Firmino in that, that kind of role, um, sort of false number nine role that Firmino does so well for Liverpool. So they're getting someone at a peak age for a very cheap price um, who will fit into their system, should fit into their system well. And there shouldn't be, okay, he's going from Austrian League to Premier League, which is a jump, but they shouldn't have the, the problems of moving to European football that uh, a lot of Asian and particularly Japanese players have had. So this is, I think, very positive and intelligent bit of transfer work by Liverpool again. Aurelio, you've seen the player play. Uh, do you think he's a good fit for Liverpool, as Duncan has said? Yes, I agree with him. I think uh, it's a very intelligent thing to do uh, because his flexibility offers some good options to Liverpool. And also, uh, Jurgen Klopp is a manager who makes his players feel very comfortable. So I think that he will fit the system. My only worry... Uh, about Milamir uh, was the fact that uh, Jadon Sakiri, of course, the X Factor players, we like to call them, after Ed Woodward's um, particular description of the players that he needs at Manchester United, uh, is that he's got the same technical skills. Uh, he's not as quick. He's sorry, he's quicker than Shakiri, but Shakiri has suffered in terms of game time. But I agree with Duncan with regards to um, being able to fit into the attacking trident when uh, one of the players either needs a rest or suspended or injured, etc. Uh, there's no reason why a player of that technical ability and speed and intelligence wouldn't do well in the Premier League. And as I said, it's uh, remarkable that he has been off the radar uh, in this country in terms of being a target for top clubs uh, when he's been performing so well, as Duncan has explained in his stats. We were very pleased that uh, you've joined us for this Friday's Transfer Window podcast. We will end, as we always do, uh, at the conclusion of the week with the legendary quickfire round. Legendary, of course, as you know, because it really is quick. Um, This week, we are going to ask both Duncan and Aurelio to name their winners In the top five leagues, we said earlier that the last 16 of the Champions League for the first time is comprised entirely of clubs who come from the top five leagues. That is France, Spain, Italy, England and Germany. So I'm going to ask Duncan first because I really want me to stitch Duncan up on this one. Uh, (laughs) Who do you think is the winners of the Premier League Serie A? The Bundesliga, La Liga and Ligue 1 will be. I suspect we've got two, only two of the five, which are of any debate. But let's just wait and see. Maybe there'll be a curveball in there. Duncan, tell us what you think. Uh, Okay, so Premier League has to be Liverpool. um, There's to lose. Collapse of biblical proportions. I think it's it's Liverpool's. Um, France, Paris Saint-Germain, very obvious. Um, Italy, Italy. I'm I'm going to defer to whatever Aurelio tells me is going to happen. 
But <laughs> I, I, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a bet on Antonio Conte and Internazionale <laughs> oh, because okay, I, okay. because of the Sari bollocks we discussed earlier and his ability to cause problems when problems shouldn't be there, and then Germany. Um, Bayern have got a long way to come back this season. Uh, they're seven points behind at present. They they managed it last year, but um, let's go for one of those European clubs that have been exceptionally good in recruitment. Um, we've been talking about um, RB Salzburg. Let's take their um, the club, their sister club in Germany, and go for RB Leipzig as German champions this season. And La Liga. La Liga Barcelona. You he, he was trying to skip this, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Aurelio, you know, you know sometimes in the uh, tunnel of the uh, of any stadium, there's a room on the left, it's called the suture room. And that's mm-hmm. an American term for being being having stitches. I think <laughs> I think I think you've just entered the suture room. okay let's start with the Premier League Liverpool then let's go to French League Paris Saint-Germain Bundesliga I still believe Bayern can do it so as Duncan said it's not easy because they're late but uh, still a lot time to go and uh, I can see Bayern winning again. In Spain, I think that uh, Real Madrid can do it. Real Madrid can do it. And uh, in Italy, I think Inter Milan are ready now. Oh, big predictions there, guys. Um, I look forward to reviewing them when the, in May. Um, when we will have the maestro of culture back on to uh, discuss exactly who won what and where. Uh, I'm going to be very, very controversial and say Borussia Mönchengladbach in uh, Bundesliga because I just like the fact that they haven't won it for I don't know how many years. So that's my random choice in the Bundesliga. Uh, I kind of agree with you and all the others, so that's fair enough. I want to thank Aurelio Capaldi for uh, giving us his time on Friday's Transfer Window podcast and his insight, analysis and intelligence, as well, of course, his amazing company, which we always enjoy. Duncan Castle. Thank you. As... <laughs> Grazie, fratello. Grazie. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and thank you very much, of course, Duncan Castle as well. It's been an eventful week here on the Transfer Window. If you want to continue the debate after the podcast finishes, and indeed until Monday's next edition, then please contact us and uh, through the uh, usual channels on social media at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, at Duncan Castles, at Garbo SJ on Twitter, and indeed at Aurelio Capaldi on Twitter as well. As um, Instagram and Facebook, we are at Transfer Podcast. Uh, we understand some of you had some problems um, getting the podcast from iTunes this week. We believe that has not been rectified. So um, when you do so, uh, if you want to get the podcast from iTunes, then please also uh, give us a five-star review that, as you know, um, increases the community. And, of course, we all get 
to increase the debate as well. Thank you for listening and we will be back with you on Monday. 